All right, you may be seated. Welcome. Uh, it's fall. It's fall, y'all. Uh, I was coming in here today and I was saying this to somebody else. I feel like all the trees have changed just in the two days since Friday. So hopefully you enjoy fall as much as I do. I wanted to say a special thank you. We had a, a women's team event here yesterday. So thank you to those women that facilitated that event but i also wanted to say a special thank you and i'm not going to embarrass these uh, beautiful women by calling them out by name but we had a couple of our of our senior saints that came and participated fully and i those folks that did that know who they are and i just want to say i very very much appreciate their leadership in that way because it really it really does reflect a lot of leadership so thank you to those who did that um and uh yeah if you don't consider yourself in the senior saint category that's fine as well i, I guess i'm not talking to you then if you don't consider yourself in that category um so throughout my throughout my schooling i have had to read a lot of different books for my current phd program i wear my boston college tie today I have read books on statistics, theory, and policy. In seminary, I read books about theology, language, and history. When in undergrad, I studied sociology, psychology, and other texts. Most of what I have read in my life, I have forgotten. If you pulled out a book I previously read, and asked me to restate what it says, I would probably not be able to do so. There are a few books that stick out in my mind though. Books I have a hard time forgetting, either because they were so good or so bad. I can recall specific arguments or statements from those texts. The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins is an example of a bad book that I remember. It's not just bad because I disagree with it. It's bad because he made bad arguments. Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf is an example of a good book I remember. As I was preparing for this week's sermon, a book came to mind that I hadn't thought about in years. It is a book I read as a sophomore in high school. Many of you all probably read this same book at this same time in your lives. The book Animal Farm by George Orwell has been a common component of school curriculums for decades. In the book, the animals of a farm kick out the owners of the farm so that they can run it for their own benefit. If you guys remember this book, the pigs rapidly rise to leadership. One of the promises the pigs repeat throughout the book is that if everyone will work hard enough, everyone can enjoy more rest. A three-day work week is held out by the pigs as a future hope. 
Animal Farm is, of course, an allegory, Orwell told, to highlight the flaws of communism. Communism could never deliver on the promises of more rest for those that lived under its rule. Thankfully, we don't live in a communist society. We do live in a world where there's a promise. There's a promise that if we will only work hard enough, for long enough, we will finally be able to rest. However, it seems that the more work we do, the less rest there is. Modern life often feels like being on a treadmill where the harder you work, the faster you are forced to go. There is no routine of rest in our world, no law which demands we must rest. Today, for our continuing series on Sabbath, we are going to be reading verses written for the benefit of Christians that lived in a culture similar to our own. These early Christian believers were trying to figure out how to live a life that aligned with the good that God had for them. The Sabbath was a significant question for them. Please turn with me now to Romans chapter 14. We will read verses 5 through 9. That's page 882 in the Pew Bible. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The church in Rome was made up of Jewish and pagan converts to Christianity. Paul suspects there may be a lack of clarity among the different believers in Rome about the Sabbath. Are Christians required to keep it as the Old Testament law states? Or can they do whatever suits them? Paul charts a different course. For Christians, rest isn't a matter of preference or law. It is a matter of living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, we are going to try to clarify what Jesus being Lord means for how we rest. Paul's statement at the beginning of these verses 
sets significant expectations for how Christians think about rest. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This verse makes it sound to some who read it like the Sabbath, like regularly taking rest, is a matter of preference. It makes conversations about the Sabbath similar to conversations about where to eat dinner or what to watch on TV. What are you in the mood for tonight? I'm in the mood for Mexican. Maybe you prefer Italian. What is your favorite TV show? You enjoy NCIS. I prefer watching The Mandalorian with my kids. Leaving the Sabbath to personal preference makes it feel unimportant. If it is up to personal preference, how, does it, how much does it really matter if a person does it at all? Nobody gets angry at me for not wanting Thai food. Is is the Sabbath similar to that? Paul is not encouraging Christians in Rome to be flippant. He is providing guidance for a challenging cultural situation where believers of different backgrounds are trying to live as God intends. Believers with a Jewish background would have found any sort of laissez-faire approach to the Sabbath offensive. The Sabbath, it wasn't a matter of preference for them. It was clearly commanded in God's law, after all. Not only was it commanded in the law, that commandment was connected back to God's own behavior at creation. Through remembering the Sabbath, believers are supposed to be connecting to a sacred, transcendent reality in their minds. Romans that lacked Jewish heritage were more likely to see the Sabbath as an inconvenient marker of Jewish social identity that they didn't need to worry about. Part of the issue with celebrating the Sabbath every seven days just had to do with a matter of calendar, a matter of scheduling. You see, the Roman calendar used what is known as a nondinal cycle, a nondinal cycle market week or eight-day week. I tried to understand how this functions so I could explain it to you guys, but it wasn't even as simple as eight days making up a week. There were these other calendar variables Thankfully, I don't need to understand how this calendar worked to know that it would be in conflict with with the seven-day weekly calendar the Jews followed. If a person was locked into resting every seventh day, their day of rest would often fall on a day when everyone else was having a normal work day. This would make multiple aspects of working and living life in Rome challenging for these people. It would be easy for us reading these verses in the present to focus on the freedom we have and how we keep the Sabbath. 
We shouldn't ignore that Paul is equally focused on living out personal conviction. Modern people, we just, we just love being able to do what works for us. We lift up freedom as the ideal good. Our lives are filled with choices, choices about the cars we drive, how we spend our time, who we marry, and every other variable. When our freedom to choose what works for us is circumscribed in any way, we have an almost allergic reaction. As Christians, we are no longer under the rigid demands of the law. That freedom includes freedom from a dogmatic approach to the Sabbath. That is good news. We cannot live up to the demands of the law anyway. The freedom we have in Christ is not a freedom to do whatever. It is a freedom to live in line with God's purposes for our life. We are supposed to live a life that is in line with the truths we are convinced of. When it comes to the Sabbath, we have freedom. That freedom needs to align with what our conscience knows. What Christians are fully convinced of is not solely a product of our own minds. If we are Christians, that means the Holy Spirit should be at work in us. If we defy what God has made known to us, we are still sinning. God has made it clear throughout Scripture that He wants rest to be a part of the life we live as Christians. Exactly what this should look like is not universal. How we choose to live should be a result of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul writes, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. When Paul references observing the day, he is talking about the Jewish Sabbath. He is saying that keeping the Sabbath can be completely valid. Those who feel led to maintain the traditional Jewish rituals around the Sabbath they're not wrong. Their observation of the Sabbath is honoring to the Lord. In the same way, those who do not keep the day are honoring to the Lord. He points this out through a transition to a slightly different but similar area of life. In the same way, Judaism had very clear statements about how the Sabbath should be kept. There were also a host of dietary regulations. Jews at the time Paul was writing, just like practicing Jews today, they were supposed to eat kosher. In the Roman church, there were those who kept these Jewish dietary regulations and those who did not. Paul is highlighting that rest is similar to food. What matters is honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus is not on the specific convictions different people have on the matter of the Sabbath, 
But the underlying motivation, some do one thing, others do another. Jesus Christ should be Lord no matter what. Again, we modern people, we, we appreciate this freedom. We don't want to be told what we must do. We want to be able to do whatever we believe is the right thing to do. Unfortunately, our convictions more often line up with our desire to honor our own preferences instead of honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. These verses have a very positive approach to the situation being addressed. Paul actually hadn't met these Roman believers. He's, he's writing this letter to them, both to introduce himself and also to instruct them. And so Paul is really intentional about it's not wagging his finger at the Romans. He does not say, you have done badly. He doesn't point out how they can be sinning in this area. He uses more of a carrot instead of a stick. He wants to encourage his readers. That does not mean his readers are actually doing what he describes. I use this strategy frequently in my life. I have this dog, Pogo, that I mention periodically. And most days when I come home, I can hear Pogo in the house as soon as I pull up in the driveway, just barking like a lunatic, just going totally ballistic. And it makes me absolutely crazy. So I'm in a good mood, come home, and as soon as I'm home, he's barking, and it puts me in a bad headspace. And so I tell Pogo to be quiet, I'm not super nice about it, whatever. On the rare days that Pogo does not bark at me like a lunatic, Kind of say, oh, you're such a good dog, Pogo. You're such a good dog. You should do this all the time. Because I'm trying to encourage this positive behavior. Focusing on the positive doesn't mean there is no negative. There are negative possibilities related to rest that are sort of, they're sort of an undercurrent. Paul's not highlighting them, but they are there. The Romans could operate in a way that doesn't align with their personal convictions. They could do so to impress others, or they could fail to invest the thought required to have any sort of conviction in the first place. While the various negative possibilities around the Sabbath are worth spending time on, I think there is one particularly bad option that is common for people today. Our routines of rest and Sabbath indicate the Lord we are trying to honor. It is often not Jesus. Lords that are common to our world are comfort, success, pride, and control. These lords, they take on different forms. The person whose lord is comfort may work themselves to the bone trying to create the ideal situation. Whereas the person whose lord is success, they may never be willing to take a full day off work. 
The commonality the lords of this world share is that they are all attempts by the person worshiping them to honor themselves. We worship success and comfort because we want to be our own lords. If you want to know who you really seek to honor with your whole life, simply assess how you spend your time. For Christians, our whole life should belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is a profound truth. Our life is not something that we slice up into narrow portions to use as we see fit. If we are not thinking, if we are thinking about the Sabbath as a day that we give to God, we are thinking about our lives wrongly. Our whole lives belong to Jesus. Your time is not your own because you are not your own. The illusion that your time is yours to do with as you please is the denial of an overriding truth. We are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Jesus did all he did to establish himself as Lord. That lordship, it's not a burden we bear. It is instead a way of living that aligns more fully with the character of God than the law can instruct. Our choices either align with the lordship Jesus brought about through his death and resurrection, or they don't. We have the freedom to embrace this reality or reject it. Our freedom is the freedom to actually live a life that corresponds to the Lordship Jesus has established. For me, it is helpful to think of a regular Sabbath the same way I think of tithing. I said this last week. As a Christian, I am freed from the law. I'm not required to give 10% of my income. However, I need to remember Every dollar I have access to is actually God's. If I think I owe God 10% while the other 90% belongs to me, my thinking is an error. It all belongs to the Lord. The same is true of my time. If I think I owe the Lord one out of every seven days, while the other six days are mine to do with as I choose, my thinking is an error. It all belongs to the Lord. That being said, I make a commitment to regularly tithe and take a Sabbath. The reason is, I know these are two common areas where I am prone to deny Jesus' lordship of my life. Having a set practice 
based on the law given in Scripture is helpful even if I have been granted freedom from the law. Giving 10% or dedicating one day in seven to the Lord doesn't mean I am recognizing Jesus' lordship in my life. It is a reminder that I should do so in all areas of my life. And I, speaking for myself, I need those regular reminders. They help counteract my tendency to be my own Lord. The unceasing pace of modern life is a result of who rules our lives. The Lord's we worship demand unceasing effort. Our rest or lack thereof is not determined by communist pigs as happened in the book Animal Farm. Our lack of rest is a result of different things in this world which we allow to exercise lordship over our lives, most often we are trying to satisfy ourselves. We are the pigs. We are our own lords making demands to satisfy our own mistaken desires. As Christians, we have freedom. We can use this freedom to exist under the lordship of Jesus Christ, or we can choose some alternative. The alternatives always promise rest if we only work hard enough. They can never deliver. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, we will rest. We will make a practice of rest as an outworking of Jesus' Lordship. Let's pray. Dear Lord, many of us sitting here today, we, we desire as we sit here for you to be the Lord of our lives. We recognize that that is a, a good thing that we should want. We just struggle to, to bring about that reality in different areas of our lives. We struggle to turn our lives over to you. We hold on to different pieces, Lord. I pray that you would help us to do that in all areas, Lord. But I pray today that you would help us do that, especially with our time. That you would give each person in this room a clear sense of conviction about how they can give their time to you, how they can recognize your authority, your lordship over how they spend the time in their lives through this clear conviction. Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. We will now